trust you're having a good week. Let's turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. Acts chapter one and verse one. So we continue. We're going to finish tonight our standard sheet. And again, uh, standards are um, really. Um, a reflection of the holiness of God working in our life. That's really what, what they are. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. For former treatise have I made, O Theophysis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And of course, tonight we're going to be looking at um, the witnessing, the program for the local church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to be assembled together. Pray as we look into the Word of God tonight, I pray that we'd be encouraged and challenged and strengthened in our walk with you. And Lord, pray that you would help us to understand the truths of thy Word, that we can um, apply them and live them out in everyday life uh, for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we conclude tonight with the standard church standards of conduct for workers at Lighthouse Baptist Church, uh, the last two, number five and six, are be faithful to witness, to evangelize the lost, to seek to bring people into the fellowship of the church. And, of course, it gives a couple of scripture references, Matthew 28, 19-20, which is the Great Commission. We know it's the Great Commission. And then uh, Acts 2, 41-47 talks about them being added to the church. Uh, so as we think about this, of course, witnessing or giving the gospel, is the program of the church. It is the program. It's what we're here for. Um, you know, a, a, a church is to be a soul-saving uh, hospital, if you will. Uh, of course, the Great Commission is given to us five times in the Scripture. Uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16, uh, Luke 24, and Acts 1-8, and John 20. 21, I think it is. And of course, basically tells us where to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And somebody has well said, it is the work of the whole church in the whole world throughout the whole age. It's the work of the whole church. Uh, 
some people have this idea. I remember I was in a church years ago, and and the people, the deacons, came to the pastor and said, uh, "You need to be new, born, doing more visiting." And uh, he said, "I'm really the only one that visits anyway." Uh, you know, some people have this idea that that's, it's the job for the deacons and the pastor. But Jesus said in Matthew 4:19, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." You know, it's, it's the work of the whole church for the whole world throughout the whole age. You know, all the world, of course, includes every person. And if we think about it, the work of the whole church includes every Christian that's in the church. Somebody said, that, you know, it, we are to get into all, the, all of our personal world with the gospel. You, you have a personal world that I'll never see or never be able to witness to. And I have a personal world that you will never see or witness to. And each of us is supposed to take gospel into our own personal world. Look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and verses 1 through 4. I never really thought about this this way before. Of course, this is when the, after the persecution arose uh, from Saul, and the severity, of course, uh, led to the stoning of Stephen. In Acts 1, 8, or 8-1, I'm sorry, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, that is Stephen's. At that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation of him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere Preaching the word. Now let me ask you a question. Who are they that went everywhere? It was the church. It was not the pastoral staff. The apostles, in fact it very clearly says that in verse uh, uh, 1, the end of the verse there, that they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles did not leave Jerusalem at this time. They all still stayed there. It was the church people that were scattered. Uh, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And so the point is, you know, we're to take the gospel wherever we go. We're to take it. Uh, you know, that is the church's mission, and we are the church. Uh, we are the church. Uh, and, of course, our message in verse 8, the church's message in verse 8 it says, You shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. See, Jesus came testifying of himself, or revealing God to man, and revealing who he was, and, and gave his life. And, and we are to continue that message. We are witnesses unto me, unto him. Uh, we're the testimony of Scripture, you might say, concerning Christ. We are, you know, Paul said to the church at Corinth, ye are our epistle, written and known of all men. You know, we are the epistle of Christ, written not with ink on tables of stone, but with but fleshly uh, blood. Uh, so we are the, the testimony of Scripture concerning Christ. You know, that's why... 
standards. I heard a preacher say years ago this, and I never forgot it. Standards are a platform from which to witness. Because when you have standards, it distinguishes you from the rest of the world. You have morals or, or, or things that you live by that are not your own. They are the Lord's. You know, Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when people ask you why, it isn't about you, it's about him. See, he's the, he's, holiness is about him. It's not about us. It's really about him. It's because of him. It's not because of us. See, we are witnesses unto him. We are to testify concerning the person of Christ. He is the Son of God, the only begotten, the unique Son, the unique uh, 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 Son of God. He's the only begotten Son of God. He is unlike any other that was ever born. There's no other like him. Uh, he, he said before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Revelation 1.8 calls him the Almighty. You see, and Peter said in Acts chapter 2, when he was preaching that first sermon to the Jews, he, he told them, you know, he is unlike any other. For notice this, what is, this is what he said, Acts 2.36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. Okay, that man, quote unquote, that you knew, that you crucified, he hath made him both Lord and Christ. What's Peter doing? He's declaring to the Jews who Jesus is and was. Who they really crucify. He's both Lord, that means he's master, or he is supreme. He is the supreme being. He is God. He's the Almighty. But he's also the Christ which means the Messiah or the anointed one, the one chosen of God. He is the chosen sacrifice for sin. There is no other acceptable sacrifice for sin. The the God-man, the Messiah, he's the anointed one. So our message is we're to be witnesses unto him. Again, it's not about us. About him. And of course, that message is that the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3, Paul said the gospel, <coughs> uh, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 3, for I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again a third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel is uh, that he preached, he says, which you have received, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and of course, this, this, something that illustrates that so vividly is baptism. And you know, baptism should really, really, really be part of our gospel message. Because baptism really illustrates the salvation experience. You see, it pictures that surrendered will 
to, to the lordship of Christ, to the headship of Christ. Uh, you know, he, he came, he came to, and of course it pictures a bearer of our sin life, a surrender to the Lord, bearer of the old man resurrecting to new life, and Christ was, was, died, took our curse upon himself and died, was buried and resurrected to give us new life. And so, our message is the person of Christ. It's not about us. That's why standards are so important. You know, when, when in fact, I, 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 try, I looked for this some time ago, and I don't know what I did with it, but um, you all heard of, um, of course, some of you younger ones probably wouldn't have heard of it, but the uh, Willow Creek ministry, some of you have heard about, uh, heard of, uh, uh, the guy in California became more popular than, than Willow Creek yet. But anyway, the Willow Creek philosophy was, you know, seeker-sensitive. You ask people what they want in the church, and, 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 then, and, and then you give them what they want. And, you know, standards are out. You know, you don't talk about the holiness. You talk about the holiness of God just sort of in a, a, a reference manner, but it never, never applies to life. And, and they, the thinking was of Willow Creek, Bill Hybels was the, the big guru in getting that philosophy started, really started. The thinking was, once they got him into the church, then they could disciple them and change their thinking. Does that sound manipulative or deceitful? But you know what they found out? It didn't happen. You see, rather than be discipled or adhere to holiness, the holiness of God, you know what they did? They started going back out the door. Um, <clears throat> you see, see, they wanted to stay. And the bottom line is those people wanted to stay just like the world they came from. They wanted an entertaining church. They didn't want a church that preached who Christ really is. So our message is um, the person of Christ. Our cause is, of course, or our power is the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1, again, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. See, the power, or, or the, the ability by which we can do this is the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that Jesus told his disciples to wait in, in verse uh, uh, 4, being assembled together with them, that he commanded them that you not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, and we know that they did. They 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 met in the upper room uh, for for forty days, and and that for prayer and fellowship, and until the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit empowered them. So they were wait. They were to wait till they were empowered by the Holy Ghost to be able to do what the Lord had commanded them to do. Somebody has said, quote, Prayer alone makes it possible for us to be taken hold upon by divine dynamics, 
unquote. In other words, we, we can't do this in the flesh. This isn't something that can be done in the flesh. It takes, you know, for a soul to be saved, the Spirit of God has to convict. He has to work. He has to take the words that you say and impress them and convince a sinner. that they, So he's working through you and then he's going to work in them. Now, are we going to be able to do that in the flesh? No, we need, to, we need the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, we need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, this isn't something mystical or magic. It's simply being yielded to or obedient to the Spirit of God. You think about it. The same guy who before was afraid to say he was a follower of Jesus is now preaching to the very people that crucified Jesus and saying, that man whom you crucified, he hath made both Lord and Christ. What made the difference? Well, he just all of a sudden got a good real dose of courage. No, he didn't. What he got was a good dose of the Holy Spirit, being submitted to the Holy Spirit and yielded to. And so we need, this is, this is what we need. Acts chapter 4, verse 22, or 23 to 31. And this is, the disciples illustrate this for us in the book of Acts very clearly. In Acts 4.23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said in them. When they heard that, notice, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by thy mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth... Against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and notice, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by thy name of the holy child Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So they, they've been threatened and told not to speak anymore. So they, they go to God and said, Lord, now let me ask you something. Do you think they were afraid? I mean, their lives are threatened. Do you think they're afraid? Or do you just think they're some magical, they have some magical powers that when faced with death, you know, they never have any fears? I'm sorry, but I think they were afraid. So what they, what they asked the Lord for was, Lord, give us boldness. And I think they were taking for granted that the Lord would give them protection. After all, he promised to be with them. Always, even unto the end of the world. So they asked him, Lord, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, give us boldness 
you know, we need some we need to ask the Lord to give us boldness to say the things that need to be said and the wisdom to not say the things we should not say. You see, we need. And you know, we need to we we of course we need you know, we need to, uh, God to help us in all areas of life, but especially in this. And and we need to come to God. You know, they weren't they were not fearful to go to the Lord. In fact, you know, the word importunity, I was reading this today, an article in a magazine paper I get, um, that the word importunity in Luke, Luke 11, where the man came to his friend at midnight and asked for loaves, two loaves of bread to free the guests that had come. And, and he, it says he would not give them because he's his friend, but because of importun- his importunity. And the word importunity there really means shameless. Because he was his friend, he was not ashamed. He had no shame in coming even at midnight and knocking on his door. And then it says, shall not God avenge his elect who cry day and night unto him? You know, Hebrews tells us to come boldly. And again, that's the same idea. Don't be ashamed. God wants us to come. Don't be ashamed to ask him. You know, it's pride that keeps us from asking and so, you know, our power is the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit's power to fulfill this mandate that He has given to us. And, and we see this program, you might say, illustrated for us here in the book of Acts. Uh, in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, uh, there was prayer. You know, He told them to wait, and then they would receive power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 13, when they were coming the Come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So the, these continued uh, from the time Jesus ascended until the day of Pentecost. They continued to assemble together and pray, and seek the face of God. And again, it wasn't just the disciples. In fact, we know that there was 100, verse 15 tells us that there was 120 in, that, in that meet, those meetings. So they, they prayed, and of course, then in chapter 2, verse 1, tells us the power came. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. It appeared unto them a, cl- a cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, so you know, they, pr- they prayed like Jesus commanded them to and waited and on the day of Pentecost came, the Spirit of God filled them. He empowered them. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And, of course, in different languages. Uh, Different languages. And, you know, God gave them wisdom with languages. But there's a principle here I think we, we, we can apply to our own self. God can give us wisdom as to what to say. 
And he can bring to your remembrance verses of Scripture that can apply to the need at hand. If you have put it in there, the Spirit of God can bring it out. You might say, well, you know, I never memorized that. You might not think you never memorized it. There's a lot of things I've never memorized. But I have no idea where it is and what it says. And some things I've you know, never thought about before in a witnessing opportunity sometimes just come out. And afterward, I, sometimes I think, where did I get that? <laughs> I know where I got it. You see, the Spirit of God can give us wisdom as to what to say. Luke 21. Luke 21. This is what Jesus told the disciples this in Luke 21. And verse 12 through 15. Before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. It's going to turn to you. See, the world is looking to us for a testimony of the person of Christ. And settle it there, verse 13, 14. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor, re- nor resist. You see, the Spirit of God told, you know, Jesus told the disciples in Luke chapter 16, When he cometh, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Now, God will never give you what you never read or ever heard or what you never learned. That's why being in your Bible daily and being in church is so important. You see, God can give you wisdom just like he gave the disciples the ability to speak in other languages. God can give us. You know, you know, sometimes when, when you're out there in the world, you know, some people you meet are really in another world than you. I mean, think about it. The way some people live today, it's like another world, living right here in our world. And they don't see things the way you see them. And you and I need the wisdom of God to know how to answer them. What to say. You know, there was, there was personal witness, I believe, by all. The whole, I believe the 120, uh, you know, had been witnessing. You know, these, these people, you know, they didn't, they didn't spend all day in the upper room. They still lived their lives. You know, Jesus had taught for three and a half years throughout Judea and Galilee. So there had been much witnessing prior to the day of Pentecost. And I think the day of Pentecost is the culmination of all that. And these people witnessing, you know, wherever they went uh, in their travels and, and in their associations. But, the, you know, Pentecost brought all the nation together into one place at one time. Like no other time of the year. 
Because Jews came from all over the known world to be at Jerusalem on the Pentecost. And, of course, many of those spoke different languages. And so, so they heard the gospel. The gospel was clearly preached that day. Uh, you know, possibly as many as 15 languages were there. So, so there was this the witnessing, uh, the preaching and witnessing, you know, uh, which, which brought all this to a climax. So we see clearly that this is, this is the uh, mandate that God has given uh, to his church, to his church, to be faithful to the witness, to evangelize <coughs> the lost and seek to bring people in, into the fellowship of the church. You know, they don't just like to come seeking us. We need to go seek them. We go seek them. And then the last thing in our standard sheet is support the preaching and leadership of a pastor as he's led by the Lord. So, so as we think about supporting the preaching and leadership of the pastor, there's two things I want to mention. First of all, support the pastor by way of provision. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 17 and 18. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. The Bible says that the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Of course, this is speaking of financial remuneration for a pastor. Uh, this, this course is taught in other places in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 through 14 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 14, the Bible says, Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? In other words, Paul said, You know, I, I don't have to make tents. The way it should be done, the way God has ordained it is, as we'll see, to them whom the gospel preach should provide for those who preach the gospel. Uh, verse 7, Whoso, Who goeth a warfare at any time of his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the moth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, he that thresheth in hope should not should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? There's a reference there to the Old Testament. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So this is, of course, speaking out provision or financial provision uh, for the pastor. But also we support the preaching and leadership of the pastor by promotion. So you're supposed to promote me. No, you're not. But how do you, how do you promote your pastor? How do you, you know, I kind of think of it this way. How do you encourage or promote your pastor uh, in the world. And, and I think it this way, by obeying the preached word and submitting to its authority and practical application in life. Hebrews 13, 
17. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 17. says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So, by obeying the preached word and submitting to its authority and practical application life. You know, so the thing about standards particularly tonight, you know, these standards are not something I have made up. You know, these are beliefs that I have been taught and have embraced as true and right by the authority of Scripture and I'm passing them on to you. That is the biblical model. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, that's what Paul told Timothy to do. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul says, Timothy, the things that you've learned from me, you teach to others that they may teach others. You know, pastor is to teach the scriptures in the, in the, the practical sense so that the people, the church, may obey the word of God and submit to its authority and apply it in life. And that's really what standards of holiness are all about. You know, biblical standards of holiness are practical living examples of the holiness of God, which, again, are platforms from which to witness. They are what distinguishes us from the world. You know, if you, if you dress like everyone else, smoked cigarettes like everyone else, drank like everyone else, went to the same place as everyone else did, they would never know. They would have no reason to ask. They'd have no reason to wonder. They would think, you're just like us. Again, Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men, they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when they ask why, 1 Peter 3, 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, to hold standards demonstrates to the world that you are more concerned with the will of God than satisfying your own flesh. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You're going to have to suffer your flesh. You're going to have to put it down. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. The time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when he walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wines, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, 
wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. You see, standards demonstrates that, again, that you are more concerned with the will of God than the lusts of men, the lusts of your own flesh. To, world, to lower the standards to worldly acceptance, you know, attending their movies, watching their videos, smoking their cigarettes, drinking their alcohol, taking their drugs, dressing like them, listening to their music, we are telling the world there is no victory over sin. And we really haven't been freed from sin and death. That's really the message we give. If we do, if we don't hold, or I should say it this way, if we don't obey the commandments God gives concerning holiness in the scriptures. So the question is, you need to ask yourself, is this? Questions you need to ask yourself. Are these standards fences biblical? Secondly, do I believe them? And then thirdly, will I endeavor by the power of God and the presence of the Spirit live them out in everyday life? If the answer is yes, then you need to sign and date the standard sheet. If no, not sure, think about it, don't sign. This is, again, this is not a test for membership, but it is a test for ministry. But it is, you know, the goal of every pastor is for unity in the church. And unity, contrary to what the liberals say, who are so divided it isn't funny, it's laughable if you, all you have to do is watch a democratic debate, which I don't. It's a waste of time. But if you would watch it, a democratic debate, you'd see the, the diversity there, the differences of opinions and beliefs. No, unity is the product. It's the fruit of agreement. Having the same beliefs. If there's not unity, it's because there's not agreement. Uh, and so, you know, of course, that's the goal of every pastor is to, to teach these things from, from, from the Bible so that the church will agree or have the unity that God desires it to have and will be empowered to be an effective witness to the world around us that knows not Christ. So again, you know, standards are a platform from which to witness. They give us, they provide us with opportunities to witness to a lost and dying world. Uh, Our lives should demonstrate to a world that we do have answers to life's basic 
questions, to life's complicated questions. Because really the complicated questions are not really all that complicated. We've just made them that way. We've just made them that way. You know, we've, we've called sin something else. It's, it's an alternative lifestyle, or it's a, it's a disease, or it's, no, sin is just sin. You know, or it's a birth defect. You know, transgenderism is a birth defect, I guess now. You know, they haven't said it in those words, but that's kind of the idea. You know. No, it's not. It's sin. It's sin. You know, again, the answers aren't all that complicated if we just take the Bible as it is. And we should have, we have the answers to life's basic and complicated questions. And so we need to be a faithful witness to that end. So there are standard sheets. If, if you want to be involved, like uh, everyone wants to be involved in the ministry, just sign one. And again, the, you know, I, I believe that the uh, uh, service in the church is voluntary. They are on the table under the track rack, standard sheets uh, back there. So if uh, you agree um, and want to serve the Lord at Lighthouse Baptist Church, you pick one of those up and sign it. And uh, um, you can lay it face down back there or give it to me, whatever. But uh, uh, pick one of those up and sign it. Um, so we have it uh, on record and um, can use you in the ministry here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for your love and your mercies to us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity and privilege that we have to serve you. And I pray that we would serve you acceptably with reverence and godly fear, knowing that you are a God of holiness, God of righteousness, a God of judgment. And I pray, Father, you help us to be uh, sensitive and submissive to the Spirit of God and as he leads in our lives and allow him to direct us and uh, use us for his glory as witnesses uh, to a lost and dying world that knows thee not. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for all that you do. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.